I was standing over my son's bed, just bawling, completely torn, pleading with God that he would take me instead, like if it ever came to that. This episode is brought to you by The Parlor Hair and Body Salon. With a quick reminder, it's okay to take time for yourself. Hi, I'm Chelsea. You're listening to Beyond the Picket Fence, where you're invited to take a break from keeping it together. Let's get real. This week, I bring to you a subject I know very, very little about. I knew Kaylee from years back when we attended the same young adult church group. Later, I realized one of my sisters had dated her brother. It's a small world. I knew of Kaylee, but we were never super close. We really only saw each other at church activities. And I just remember her seemingly really gentle and put together, beautiful, organized, and she always had a smile on her face. Years later, I think 10 to be exact, I came across an incredibly inspiring post on Facebook written by her. I had no idea the struggles she had faced. So what is it like to live most of your life with undiagnosed OCD? And full disclosure, this is our second time recording this interview. The first one, the audio was terrible, and we were actually both really happy about that. The first one, I tried to force her brain into doing this whole thing my way. This time, I let her brain do its thing, and the outcome is genius. So here's Kaylee. My name is Kaylee Mortensen, and I'm actually going to start with talking about why it's difficult for me to tell my story. We interviewed already before and the audio didn't work. And I was actually kind of glad that it didn't <laughs> so that I could have another try. And I'll get into this, but so it's, it's hard for me to tell my story when asked to. And I love to share my story, but it's hard. And I think it's hard for everyone, like for my brain to comprehend, like how in the world, where do I even begin? Where do I start? How do I even explain some of these things? So what I did was I tried to simplify. So if I could tell my story in one word, it would be just be the number two. If I could tell it in one sentence, well, I'm going to give three sentences. I'm going to cheat a little bit. So it would be what we resist persists. Our pain is a message and Christ heals holistically. And if I could tell my 20 year old self anything, it would be, I love you. Oh, sorry. I didn't think I'd get emotional about that. <laughs> After this quick, simple look into her story, she then gave a brief timeline of her life that I'll just summarize, and then we'll go back, and Kaylee can fill in all the cracks. She moved a lot as a child, like every two years, including a move to a new state when she was seven, then again moving states at 16. She experienced a lot of new schools and lots of different places. At 19, she got mono and valley fever. At 25, she was diagnosed with fibromyalgia. She got married, then moved to another country, then back to the States around 32, then began having kids around 35. And I was diagnosed with OCD at the age of 38, which it hasn't been a full year yet. So I'm still learning so much about it, but I'll talk a little bit about that journey. So the way that I try to organize my story is there's the before, and then there was a turning point in my life. And then there's the after. So I'll start with that weird thing that I talked about, number two, right? 
Like, how in the world do I describe my life by a number? Yeah, I was curious about that. I'm like, oh, I can't wait to hear more about that. <laughs> yeah. So I was hopefully this is, I mean, I'm going to give some personal information. Hopefully no one steals my identity, but I was born on February the second month, 22nd at 1222. And I was seven pounds, two ounces. So you could say two is, you know, a pretty big number for me. And I grew up like two. I mean, that was, I love the number two. Like I was obsessed with the number two. And so growing up, I also loved everything like symbolism. And we had a, a bishop who was really in the Hebrew, like he knew Hebrew really well. And he'd talk about it. And I just like ate all that stuff up. Like that's the way my brain worked. And I loved it. And so he gave us this sheet of what numbers meant in Hebrew, like the meaning of numbers. And I was so excited because I was like, oh yes, I'm going to find out what the number two is. This is going to be awesome. It's going to be like the best. So it's going to be this, some awesome, amazing thing. Like this is the meaning of my life. And I looked it up. Two means opposition. And I was like, no, I want a refund. No, obviously that's wrong because it's the best number. I I don't want this. You know, I I try to imagine my life in that way. And it's hard to explain because it's kind of, you know, a concept, but it's just that, you know, that before and the after, you know, you have this inverse relationships, you know, this opposites and I'll go into that more. So I'm going to kind of start at the end because I can. <laughs> I'm um, excited. This is so cool how you have it all organized. This is the what, what I have to do for my brain to like comprehend. Anyway, so if I were to describe what OCD is like, it's affected my whole life, you know? So if I were to describe that, it would be OCD is like if a fire alarm is going off and I'm the only one to hear it or care about it. And I mean, you can imagine how confusing or frustrating that would be. And I've had dreams like this before too, where I'm like going out to people like, don't you hear it? Like what's going on? You Can't you hear this alarm that's going off? And I would also relate it to, I'd also say it's like, I'm carrying the weight of the world on my shoulders or the OCD is like trying to walk underwater while I'm holding onto weights. Just, you know, feeling that resistance, that opposition, right? And that difficulty of it. And I think in the interview before, we talked about the beach ball analogy, which I love trying to hold the beach ball down. And it just, if you let it go, if you let it slip, it explodes out. And that's what my life felt like. And this is also how I would explain my physical pain of fibromyalgia. And this is where I started to see that connection between the, you know, the mind and body. This emotional pain I was feeling was so similar to the physical pain that I was feeling. So there's her life in a nutshell with very little details, cut and dry. She said she divides it into like before and after. So let's dig into the before the turning point. So I had a lot of childhood fears. I was afraid of so many things. I was afraid of elevators. I mean, (laughs) I was afraid of UFOs. I was afraid of storms. I mean, just everything. I had so many fears, so much anxiety. In our first interview, She went into great detail about this and really, she just truly never felt like anyone ever understood her. And then in college, I started feeling physical pain and I never thought about this before. So the beginning of college started and I had mono and valley fever and I just never got better. Then it was the end of my college in 2008 was finally diagnosed with fibromyalgia. So fibromyalgia basically means that you just feel pain all over. So like, well, what does it even feel like? Because pain is so subjective. How do you even describe that? You know, how do you even explain that? And it would be like going into doctors and it's like, where do I even begin? You feel 
like the third day of the flu, you know, you're getting better, but you still have those body aches all over. Or, you know, you just went to Disneyland and you just feel like this general ache all over. And there might be some areas where you feel a little bit more pain. And that's what it is for me. I don't know if anyone else experienced it differently, but just always feeling kind of like that feeling of malaise, (laughs) I guess is the word fatigue was a big part of it. Chronic fatigue. Do you feel like that right now? I do. I do. But it's not what you're focused on. No. And I have a different relationship to it and I can find ways. Sometimes I can pinpoint the pain and it can go away completely. So there are times where that, that does happen. And then there's other pains that might kind of hang on a little bit more. And I have a different relationship with that specific pain. So what I thought before with fibromyalgia was I'm in pain 24 seven constant. It never goes away. But once I started to really understand the pain, I realized, okay, well, it does come and go sometimes. It does change. It's not this constant 24-7 all the time, (laughs) even though that's what it feels like. Isn't it interesting how what we think can change things? When she believed it was constant 24-7, her brain found evidence of that. Now she looks for evidence of how, yes, she is in pain a lot, but it isn't really 24-7. What is your brain thinking and finding evidence for? Hmm. Though she explained the story quickly, she actually went years without a diagnosis. I wanted to know, how did that affect her life? It affected everything because I I just didn't know where to go. I didn't know what to do. I didn't know what I wanted to study. I didn't know when relationships. It was just this fear that there was something terribly wrong and doctors couldn't find it because it was test after test after test and like, oh, everything's fine. Sometimes they'd find little things that were wrong, but it was always just this overwhelming, there's something wrong and I don't know what it is. So how can I plan my life? Jumping from college to college, changing majors so many times because I was terrified of the future. Yeah. Without knowing when I was finally diagnosed with fibromyalgia, there's so much going on that year, 2008, you know, everything crashed 2008. I lost my job. I graduated. I just received this diagnosis that's supposed to last my whole life. There's no end to it. It was literally a doctor handing me a pamphlet and saying, okay, well, we've ruled everything else out. Here's a pamphlet. Here you go. Here's some depression medication because that's all we have because they just didn't really understand it. Since it's a syndrome, there really is no specific test or scan that they can do to diagnose it. It really was just ruling everything else out. That whole college career was kind of like this physical pain journey, trying to figure out what was going on. And It's just so much difficulty with life and relationships, you know, so much emotional pain that I just didn't realize. So I was doing everything that I could to find answers, to find out what is wrong. I was going to doctors, alternative medicine, therapy, everything. You know, if someone talks about, oh, did you try this? Yes. Like I tried it. I tried everything. And, you know, I was just trying to figure out what is wrong. Like something feels wrong. Later, she had an incident happen that suggested to her mind and body that she had experienced trauma as a child, but she couldn't remember it. So she started to study trauma. The things that I learned about trauma is what it is really is when something happens to us quicker than what we can process, like quicker than our brain can really process and work through. So there's this really good trauma expert 
So his name is Gabor Mate, if I'm saying it right. The way that he says it is, trauma isn't about what happens to us. It's about what happens in us. These things just blew my mind, these things that I was learning about. Like, I just had no idea. Because in, in my mind, I was thinking, well, I have to know what's going on. I have to figure this out, right? How can I figure this out if I can't remember anything? And how can I even talk about this? Where do I even begin? And it was so confusing to me. And I was obsessing. And I use that term because I can, because obsessive compulsive disorder, right? Over it so much, just trying to figure it out. And this incident that happened was very unique. I mean, it's something that I won't like talk about specifically what happened, but it was something that indicated to me this could be some of the root cause of what you are experiencing, which was amazing to me to get any kind of answer. But I still wasn't quite sure what to do with that because I'm like, okay, say something did happen. I mean, I still don't know specifics, <laughs> you know, I still can't remember anything, but like, okay, something probably did happen to me and something probably did affect like my view on the world and all of these different things. And that could be affecting my health as well. What I believe happened was that my brain was protecting me, which is a beautiful thing, but my body remembered everything. So this incident that happened, it was this trigger threw me like into this intense fight, flight, freeze, fawn response. And it was mostly freeze. And I was like, I literally froze. My whole body just completely froze like deer in headlights, that whole experience. I had no clue what to do. It feels like, you know, in a dream where you can't talk, I felt like completely frozen and terrified. And that's where I felt this confirmation of like, just this overwhelming feeling of you are safe right now, but you need to understand this because this has affected you. You need to understand this so you can heal from it. It's one of those experiences where honestly, like I cannot deny that there's a God. What's interesting, and I'll talk about this because it plays along with OCD is of course I doubted it. Even though I knew, you still start to doubt everything around it. There's so much uncertainty with it still. Like, well, I don't know for sure. How can I know for sure? And I didn't really know what to do with it then, but I went to therapy because I'd already tried all these doctors. So like, that's kind of where I, I was starting to go from there. So I'm like, okay, I've already worked on this whole like physical side of it. So now I'm going to try this emotional route doing therapy and still didn't really resolve in that way. Like I felt like I was still trying to find answers, still constantly trying to find answers and find certainty. And it wasn't until later, and I'll go into that. I, I eventually did some EMDR and which is a, a form of therapy to address trauma. And I'm like, but that's not me. Like I'm not a trauma survivor. Cause I can't remember anything. And we all have experiences, right? We all have some traumas. Like it's just these things that happen in our life. And why am I stuck on this? Why am I the only one? Like, why can't I just get over this? Why is everything in my life difficult? Why can't I just do things? Why do I feel so stuck? What is happening? <laughs> you know, why am I in so much pain that I just, everything is painful. Everything is scary. Everything is dangerous. You know, what is happening? <laughs> 
how did I get to this point? And where do I even go from there? It was easier to say that I was in physical pain than to admit that I was in emotional pain. So there were things that I tried to avoid or delayed or couldn't make decisions on, like trying to serve a mission. You know, we talked about that a lot before, just without, I was still going through, like trying to figure out what's going on physically and all of this and going to college, you know, working, dating, getting married, all of these things that I was trying to avoid. It was easier to use the physical pain as an excuse, as opposed to I'm feeling anxious about this. You know, I'm feeling uncertain about this. We don't have as many words or vocabulary to talk about emotional pain. So like I still did things, but it was always with a bigger effort. It was more difficult and frustrating. I limited myself a lot too. And there's this cycle that I was caught in of like pushing myself and then crashing and then pushing and crashing. And like, you know, I'd go do something and then I have to rest for like a week, you know, because I would be in so much pain. And I learned so much during this process of going to doctors and alternative medicine and therapy. Like, it's not that I didn't learn anything, but I just still felt like there was something missing. You know, I learned like that connection with the mind and body, but I felt I couldn't really talk about it because people didn't really talk about it. People didn't really understand. (laughs) And I felt like in the 20 or so odd years that I've gone kind of on this physical pain journey and emotional pain journey, so much has changed and I'm so grateful for it. Like people are so much more open about talking about some of these things. And I've, I've seen so much of that change. And, you know, I knew that fibromyalgia was related to the fight, flight, freeze, fawn, stress response, but I didn't know how. I didn't quite understand that. I just knew it was, you know, I knew that some of these things that I was experiencing mentally too, like perfectionism, people pleasing, just to name a few, like some of those things that were so pervasive. I knew that that was related as well, but like I couldn't fit all the puzzle pieces together. It's like I had all these puzzle pieces, but I didn't have the box that shows the picture. So I had no clue, you know, what they were even supposed to make. She also experienced postpartum. Postpartum was extremely difficult for me. And it flew me into so much of that stress response. And it was so confusing to me because I'm like, where did this even come from? And I found out later that it was postpartum OCD, but I didn't know it at the time. Even though I was going to therapy, (laughs) they still didn't, you know, find it or still didn't know. Does postpartum OCD look different than regular postpartum depression? Yeah. Mm -hmm. A lot of similarities, but different. Yeah. So at this point, postpartum was really difficult. And I'll talk about that a little bit more, but this is, this is where I get to, I'll talk a little bit about the turning point and then I'll go into OCD. So the turning point was when I was pregnant with my third son and all of these things, you know, just came to a head where I was like, why is this? I'm trying everything that I know to do. I'm doing everything that I think I can. I've done all of these treatments. I've tried everything. (laughs) What am I missing? You know? And I remember I was laying in bed and just so distraught because I had even, you know, after my first son experiencing postpartum OCD, I'd gone to physical therapy. Then after my second son, I was like, all right, I'm dying. Then I went back to the doctor, went through all of the tests again and everything was fine, you know? And 
it just kept circling back, kept circling back. There's something wrong. There's something wrong. There's something wrong. And I was just, I was done. I was done. Like, how in the world can I do this? How in the world can I keep pushing and crashing and keep continuing my life like this? And, you know, I've got these two little boys and another one on the way. And I was, I've tried it all. I've done it all. And I, I guess you can call it a come to Jesus moment. (laughs) I had that moment. I was laying in bed and I surrendered. I gave in. And I prayed to God, like, you know what? I don't care anymore if this is right to ask (laughs) or if it's wrong to ask. I'm like, I have to be healed. I have to. There's no other alternative. I cannot keep going on the way that I'm going on. It was too overwhelming to me. It was too much. It was too large a weight to keep carrying. And I prayed to be healed. Let's take a quick break. Are these your pain points? Numbness. Do you feel emotionally numb, distant, as though you're living behind a glass wall? Anxiety. Do you feel shattered and immobilized by an overwhelming experience in your past? Disconnect. Do you feel disconnected from your loved ones and unable to find any real pleasure in life? You are not alone. I've been there. You can start today to trade numbness for resilience, anxiety for empowerment and disconnection for determination to truly thrive again. My mom created a coaching program specifically for women who have been traumatized. If you've been curious about what life coaching might look like, join her for Red Eye Live, late night coaching for women. Instead of laying awake stressed at night, join us as she takes me through her program. It's real, it's raw, and if you want to be coached for free, you can sign up to be coached on Red Eye Live as well. Go to liveliferead.com. Link, of course, in the show notes. We're back. Kaylee is at her wit's end with the physical and emotional pain, and she has finally given it up to God and prayed to be healed. I don't care anymore if this is right to ask (laughs) or if it's wrong to ask. I'm like, I have to be healed. I have to. There's no other alternative. I cannot keep going on the way that I'm going on. It was too overwhelming to me. It was too much. It was too large a weight to keep carrying. And I prayed to be healed. So God didn't take the pain away, of course, but he taught me about it so that I could be healed holistically, you know, as a whole, all of the parts, not just some of the parts. It's that surrender, that letting go, that vulnerability, whatever you want to call it, that opening up of real healing. About a week or so later, Kaylee was scrolling on social media. And there was this ad that popped up. And it was like, something along the lines of, you know, are you a perfectionist? (laughs) Or a people pleaser? Or, you know, all of these different things. And it was, these things can lead to a higher incidence of chronic pain. And my mind was just like, wait, what? What did you just say? Because like they were saying, the things that I was thinking all this time, but no one was talking about, you know, no, no one in the medical community, you know, I mentioned any of these things. So I looked it up and I found it and I signed up for this program, you know, whatever it was. And it was an app that I used and it was uh, targeted towards healing chronic pain through various, you know, methods, but it was something completely opposite, you know, from what I was doing. And that just 
helped so much, so much. The way that I kind of thought about it was like, okay, I have the puzzle box now, like the picture. Like now I can see where all, how the, all these things, these things fit together, you know? And I was finally able to understand that mind-body connection of what was going on and why I was experiencing all of this pain, even though doctors couldn't find anything on, on tests. And I was finally able to let go of that obsession with finding out what was wrong. And, you know, like this, there's, there has to be something wrong that they're missing, you know, I'm like, oh, okay. No, there doesn't have to be something wrong. This is what's going on. And okay, now this makes sense, right? And then it was kind of around that same time I was working with a therapist and that's when I was doing EMDR. The therapist asked Kaylee if she'd heard of scrupulosity, a form of OCD. Kaylee had considered in the past that she could have OCD, but she never fit the exact clinical description. Because she was a perfectionist, she couldn't have been OCD because maybe she only experienced these symptoms like five-ish hours out of a day instead of the exact six hours a day. I looked into it more and I was able to actually hear people's stories about it. And that's when it really clicked for me. Like, okay, yes, this could be OCD. (laughs) All right. And it explains so much, so much. So I'm going to go into that a little bit and hopefully I won't bore everybody with this. I always wonder like how much to talk about it, but. No, I love it. It's exciting. I'm not going to interrupt or ask questions because I ask questions, but you already have a plan to answer them. So I'm just going to bring you what your brain is doing because I'm loving it. <laughs> so like I said, the, the clinical definition wasn't helpful for me. And I think it it's can be a roadblock sometimes when working with, with therapists and stuff, because like, I don't know how I fit in a clinical you know definition, but so I'm going to try to explain it. So the OCD cycle, kind of in a nutshell, right? I'm going to talk, try to bring it to a nutshell. So you have a thought or it could be like a doubt or an urge or a feeling and that triggers anxiety. And then the anxiety leads to a compulsion or a reaction. And the compulsion is designed to try to minimize or reduce or get rid of this thought or feeling that's like uncomfortable feeling, whatever that thought was that, that triggered it. And then you do get some temporary relief from that, but then it just goes right back to, and it's just this vicious cycle. So that was the cycle that was going on in my life. Like something's wrong. I have to figure it out because I can't feel this. I can't feel this pain. It's bad. Ouch. <laughs> you know, and that, that anxiety, something is really like, what is going on? Maybe there's something that they can't find. There was a lot of health anxiety with it. And then it's the compulsion is seeking that reassurance, going back to the doctors, getting test after test after test, Googling it. Like who knows how much time I spent Googling. I learned a lot from it, but it was a compulsion to try to feel okay, to try to find some kind of answer. But it's just temporary because it's teaching my brain that thought or that doubt or urge or feeling is dangerous. That's why it just keeps going. It's this alarm signal that keeps going off is dangerous. So you have to keep listening to it. You have to keep responding to it, but then it just gets louder and louder and louder, the more and more you feed it. So that's the obsession. So it's the obsession over whatever it is, this uncomfortable thing. And then the compulsion part of it is that reaction to it, to try to get rid of it or stop it. So some of the signs is like an urgency to figure it out or to know for sure. Can't even tell you how many times, like I said that, or I have to just be sure, you know, difficulty with uncertainty. That's kind of like the whole basis of it. Like having such a hard time with uncertainty 
And that goes back to that trauma. It's like, I don't know. I don't know what this is. Like, it's so uncertain to me and I can't figure it out. So I'm going to think about it over and over and over and over, you know, or checking things just in case. What if asking, like it lives in this, what if, you know, like, what if this were to happen? What if this were to happen? I have to try to avoid this. I can't let that happen. There's a lot of shoulds. Like I should have done this. I should have done that. I should have, you know, should have, should have, should have. Everything seems important and big. Everything, everything, every, like even just doing like menial tasks, brushing my teeth, like eating food, doing this, everything was so big and important. And it's like, maybe this is really important. Like maybe I have to catch something here and I'm going to miss it. You know, so much overwhelm. Everything was overwhelming. And then it can also be kind of related to a sticky mind. So this whole idea of like why people with OCD have OCD, because everyone has intrusive thoughts, you know? Everyone has difficulty with some of these things. So like what makes it different? Like it's kind of this idea of a sticky mind. Like it's hard to let it go. Like it just keeps sticking. (laughs) You obsess over it. And so for me, that was like this constant, you know, something's wrong. What's wrong? You know, trying to figure it out. It's called a reassurance trap and you just get stuck in it because you're constantly looking for reassurance. Like, is this okay? Am I okay? Am I a good person? Am I doing the right thing? Did I hurt that person's feelings? Did I, I can't even tell you all of the things, but it's like every single second of my life. It's like, it's so mind blowing to learn about this because it brings this whole perspective, my whole life. It's like, Oh my goodness. Yes. (laughs) Sounds so exhausting. Oh yes. I'm like, no wonder I'm in pain all the time and tired all the time. Like I no mean, wonder. I have anxiety and so it, it can be like overwhelming because I worry about the big stuff, but imagine worrying about all the little tiny things like, oh, yeah. Like everything was dangerous and scary and potentially dangerous, you know? So a lot of my compulsions, and this is something I never knew because when you hear about it or, or see it in popular culture, you think like, oh yeah, they're washing their hands all the time, you know? And so this also kind of kept me from knowing what was going on. Because I'm like, well, I don't really quite look like that because it can be different for different people. That might be for some people. And I do have some of that as well, but I didn't quite recognize that or understand that. So there's avoidance, rumination, like constantly thinking about it, trying to fix it as if thinking about it can fix anything, trying to find the answer, reassurance, checking. Those are some of like my big compulsions. And then there's a lot of different themes. OCD is like this general this is what's going on. You know, this is like the kind of the cycle of it. You have your obsession and then the compulsion for temporary relief to try to find any relief. And so some of the themes that it kind of goes around, it's, it's all the same thing. It's all under the same umbrella. It's all treated the same, but it's a little bit more specific of these are kind of like what some intrusive thoughts, kind of like a general idea of what different people have like different thoughts. So there can like be like categories dan- almost. Yeah. Yeah. Categories. Yeah. So you have like contamination OCD where you're afraid of dirty things, getting sick, scrupulosity, and that's religious OCD. There's harm OCD, memory hoarding. <laughs> that one kind of blew my mind. Uh, perfectionism. And then that postpartum OCD can kind of fall into that, but it it's brings all of these other things together. So that what was going on. So I was that postpartum, I was experiencing a lot of harm OCD. And that's what really brought it to a head. I'll give a couple examples to try to explain. And I'll talk, I'll go back to that postpartum OCD. But 
memory hoarding is one that like, I, this is why it's hard for me to tell my story. Like when I talk about why it's so hard, this, my brain feels like it's just full of everything. That's like, I feel is important, but you can't find what's really important because you're, it's just full of everything. The first interview we did was a perfect example of this memory hoarding. I was totally enjoying her stories. Then when I went back to try to edit it, it was like so many teeny tiny details and I couldn't quite figure out what I needed to keep and what wasn't really important information. I'm glad you explained this to me because I was like, Mm -hmm. she had so many little tiny things. Like I was already 30 or 45 minutes into it and we had not even touched on like Valley Fever yet because we talked about every single little memory. Whoa, that's so crazy. Yeah. And it's so like when I prepare for sharing my story, I can't even tell you how many sheets of paper I go through or how many notes I take on my phone. Or if you were to see my phone, it drives me nuts. I'm crazy. Like how many screenshots I take on my phone. It's like, oh, this one quote on Facebook was so important. So I'm going to take a screenshot of it. But where does it go from there? You know, it just sits in my phone. And instead of hoarding things, it's trying to hoard all these memories of like, I have to take this picture. I have to remember this. Because what if I need this later? What if it's important? And how in the world do I like bring all this together or like simplify at least for this interview? Like, Mm -hmm. I love that you just trusted your brain and just let your brain do what it wanted. Like starting with the cool, like word sentence, few sentences. And then we like worked backward. Like just watching your brain work right now is super cool to me. (laughs) I'm having so much fun. (laughs) Oh, good, good. I'm hoping it's making sense because, you know, there's always that danger of like, do we, you know, yeah. So no, there's no danger here. Tell your brain. So like, and I'll talk about this more, but like it's finding the order and the disorder. So if there's disorder here, if OCD is a disorder, meaning it's not helpful to me anymore, it's it's maladaptive, it's not helping my life. Where's the order? My brain is constantly finding connections constantly wanting to figure things out like okay where can I find the order of that where can I simplify it so that it can be helpful for me instead of holding me back from my whole life which is what I was doing so she's going to take us through all the different examples of types of OCD so if anyone else out there is feeling like this hopefully it can help you understand yourself or if your loved one struggles obviously I can't explain everything because it affects every part of my life, you know, and this is what I'm, I try to explain everything and it's impossible. So we talked a little bit about it, telling my story. So that kind of goes into memory hoarding OCD. It's so difficult. It gets so overwhelming, so much anxiety. So then what would happen? A compulsion would be like, okay, well, I have to avoid it or I have to try to say everything, which is impossible. Or I'll go over after, like after the last interview, I was like, oh my gosh, it was horrible. It was awful. I ruined everything, you know, making a mountain out of a molehill, you know, and this was my one shot. Like it's ruined. It's like that all or nothing thinking, you know, not being okay with mediocre, like having to have that it has to be perfect, you know, so many difficulties with that, but it's important to me. So OCD always attacks the things that are the most important to us, which is amazing. Cause where can I find the order in that? Oh, thank you OCD for teaching me what's important to me. <laughs> right which happens to be a lot of things. I care a lot about a lot of things. I think about a lot of things. I think deeply. I care deeply. Like I feel deeply. I can embrace that. I can find the balance of that. Before we get into the after of the turning point, 
she shares a few more examples of how her OCD shows up. So turning left, I'll talk about turning left. It's kind of an easy way to explain it in my mind because it's like, oh, I'm afraid of turning left because I am afraid of what people are going to think behind me. Like, oh, she's taking too long. I can't explain myself because I'm in a car and I can't like open my window and like, oh, this is why, you know, if I feel like I'm in a situation where I can't explain myself and say like, I really am a good person. Like I really am not dumb. You know, I know what I'm doing. I just, yeah, whatever. Like I'm just being extra cautious or this happened or, you know, I feel so stuck in that. So I would avoid turning left like all the time. So that's avoidance. Right. (laughs) And I'll go back to another thing is checking. Like I have to check everything, check, check, triple check, double check. I'm going to check the locks when I go to bed, check. Even today I was looking at everything. Like I checked how many times did I check to see like, okay, what time am I meeting? Which I'll see today, like looking on my phone, how many times checking, you know, like is my alarm set checking? Yeah. Just so many checking. And that was so much with postpartum. OCD was like, oh my gosh, just so much checking is the blanket over their face. And then some of those are a little bit more light and it's like, okay, these aren't that bad. But then when it really came to a head with the postpartum OCD, I was aware that I had potential to experience postpartum depression and anxiety. I was aware of that because I had experienced depression before, you know, but I had no clue. This was so different than anything that I knew, even though I was experiencing OCD my whole life. So like, even in the hospital, I did not trust myself to even wrap my baby up in the blanket. And so I had to give them to the nurses at night because I was terrified that I would do it wrong. And, you know, the blanket would cover his face or something. And they scare you so much talking about SIDS and and then going home. Seems that people with OCD don't need any extra fear applied with the fear tactics. (laughs) It was just a struggle, struggle, struggle with breastfeeding. So I would think of all the worst, most terrible things in the whole entire world. And I would just become like completely overwhelmed by it. I would just ball and ball and ball. I would see my son and I would start to feel this little fleeting moment of happiness. And I would immediately, I was like, no, I can't feel that. I cannot feel that love, that happiness. That's dangerous right now because the more I feel love, the more it would hurt if I lost him. I immediately started thinking of horrible terrible, awful things that could happen to him. It was an absolute nightmare, absolute nightmare. And I had a dream that I hurt him. And so this was this fear of harm, which is another theme, right? Harm, OCD. I was terrified I was going to hurt him. I didn't want to at all. Why am I thinking these things? This isn't who I am. This isn't the value that I want to live in my life. Like that's it's this dissonance with ourselves. That's why it causes so much distress. There's this thing in my life that is so opposite from what I want to be or who I believe I am. And it causes all of this distress. I have to get rid of it. I don't know. <laughs> How do I get rid of this? Because I cannot live with this. And so I had this dream <laughs> and I was just broken. And I went back to therapy and I was at my low... I don't know if you can imagine like how low I could go, you know, with this fear, with all of this anxiety and fear that I had. I was, this is the moment I imagined. I was standing over my son's bed, just bawling, completely torn, pleading with God that he would take me instead, like if it ever came to that. And it was just this constant reassurance seeking from God. 
I realized all of my prayers had become asking for reassurance. Please don't make these bad things happen. Please don't let this happen because it was so terrifying. These threats felt so real to me and they weren't real. They were just perceived threats. You know, that's what OCD does. It's like anything is a possibility, right? Here's all these what ifs that could happen, but it's not happening. But it felt so real, so real. I can't even describe how real it felt like. I still didn't know it was OCD at this point. It still took several years after that before I finally realized it and was finally diagnosed. But the thing that she was able to help me with was seeing that disconnect. Like these are not your values. Like most people who have these thoughts, like it creates so much tension in your life because it's not who you really are. You know, it's not who you feel you are. So it goes back to that, like number two, right? Like this opposition, it was just desperately trying to get rid of, avoid or prevent anything bad from ever happening. Like this thought that I have, like it's wrong, fight it. You know, this feeling, I can't feel this, you know, this, what if I can't let it happen? It was like opposition, like, no way. I don't want any of that in my life. Like I can't handle it. So, you know, the irony of it was I was terrified of pain, but everything I was doing was increasing the pain, whether it be physical pain, spiritual pain, mental pain, social pain. But yeah, it was just what I was resisting was persisting. I was stuck in it. I was treating it as a real threat. And so I kept responding to all of those alarm systems in my brain. So now she had all the definitions for all of these experiences that she looked back on. We can see where each incident falls under all the different OCD categories. So after looking back with all the information she now has, what does it look like moving forward into the after? Okay, so what does the after look like, right? (laughs) I knew all all of these things that I had been doing I knew that that wasn't working anymore, (laughs) obviously. So when I started hearing other people's stories, one of the things that just blew me away, I listened to this one podcast and he was a member of the Church of Jesus Christ Latter-day Saints as well. And so he was talking about scrupulosity and how that related. And he just said something that was amazing. Like he talked about how there's this confusion with the spirit. We talk about the spirit and getting promptings. I was like, is this the spirit trying to tell me something? So I just learn to like act on all of these compulsions thinking like, what if this is the spirit? So I had to learn like, what is the difference? You know, God doesn't work with anxiety. And I was able to look at those times in my life where, okay, this was the spirit and all these other things are not, (laughs) these are just counterfeits. And it's actually him and his wife and his wife said something. She was talking about the treatment that they were working on together as a family. And she said something like, she said, one of the hardest things to do is to see my husband asking for reassurance and know that I cannot give him that reassurance because it'll only make it worse. It won't help him. And she's like, I have to be silent. Right then I was like, oh my goodness, this is why God feels silent to me. Because every prayer is asking for reassurance. And I'm like, where is God? Where are you? I was just looking in the wrong places. He was there. I just didn't know how to see him because I was looking for it in a certain way. I was looking for that reassurance. And he's like, and sometimes he did give it to me, but it wasn't as often I was asking. I was asking daily, but he couldn't give that to me because that wasn't what was best for me. I was like, that is why you feel silent. Okay, that makes sense. 
So the treatment for the physical pain and for OCD turns out to be the same thing. Exposure and response prevention is the gold standard for OCD. So this is what I'm going through now. So it's changing the response. So I was white knuckling my way through life. And my body and mind were like very persuasively and very loudly telling me that there has to be a better way. (laughs) Right. So I'm like, I'm doing all these things. I'm exposing myself. Like, isn't that what exposure is? Right. Like I'm still doing these things, but yet I wasn't changing my response. I was still stuck in that loop. You know, this is dangerous. This is dangerous. So I had to change my response. And that's what exposure and response prevention does. So it's practicing. I mean, your whole life, you're forming all of the neural pathways in your brain. So it's, kind of gradually changing those neural pathways, rewiring. And it's the same thing with the physical pain. It's something called somatic tracking where you just, you react to it differently. For instance, say like turning left, you know, here I am afraid of this turning left. So I would go get in my car, (laughs) drive where there's no stoplight. That's what was really scary to me. And instead of like white knuckling through it and then being stressed and tired and you know all these things that I was experiencing afterward it's okay this is what my brain is telling me that this is dangerous and it, you know maybe it's not dangerous and so one of the things is okay so here's a thought and you react okay maybe maybe not it's like oh everyone thinks I'm weird well maybe maybe not you know and it's like this is not really the dangerous thing that your brain is telling you that it is so it's kind of quieting that the alarm bells and being like, okay, it kind of quiets it. And you know, it might always be there in the background, but it'd be kind of like more like a ticking clock than the fire alarm. (laughs) And so how do we turn down these alarm bells that are going off? You try to see things through a lens of safety instead of through a lens of danger. She's really just rewiring her neuro pathways kind of like scientific. Oh, it's very scientific. I mean, they can see this in brain scans. It's amazing. This app that I use, it's very scientific. It's based on brain scans and things like that and different studies and and things that have been done. And it's amazing to see that they're understanding this more and more now. Let's apply it to like your checking habit of like checking Mm -hmm. the walks. Yeah. Good question because, you know, sometimes you have to check. I mean, yeah, like checking your luck is not the worst thing in the world. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And so here's a funny thing, because you can go down the rabbit hole with that too. Like, is this OCD? Is this a compulsion? Like you can turn that into an obsession. So, which I do, I do that as well. You can kind of tell when it happens where it's like, okay, if I go and check the lock, but then when I go back out in the room, I'm like, oh, did I do that? Oh, I don't remember if I did that. Oh, maybe I should just go and make sure, you know, or if I start to feel like maybe something bad could happen. If I didn't check it, maybe this is the one day because I didn't lock my door. Someone's going to come in and break into my house when, I mean, really they're going to break into my house, whether I lock the door or not. Right. <laughs> like that it's, it's that disconnect of like this action that I'm going to take is going to prevent something. Well, that's, you have to really look at it and like, well, no, that doesn't really have anything to do with that. And so it, for me personally, it's what am I afraid of? Like if I am feeling something right now, I have to be like, okay, what am I really afraid of? And I have to turn around and face it instead of trying to run away from it. Like, okay, well, I'm, I'm feeling a little unsafe right now. I can be okay with that. I can sit with that feeling. Cause that's just, it's going to come and it's going to go. There's a lot of mindfulness with it. Like meditation saved my life. And there's a lot of that with it. It's like, I can feel this. My brain is telling me that I can't, but I can. 
and it's not going to last forever. It's going to go away. This bad thing, it's not going to be as bad as I imagined it, you know? All of this sounds like a lot of work. Have you seen that quote floating around Facebook? It says, marriage is hard. Divorce is hard. Choose your hard. Obesity is hard. Being fit is hard. Choose your hard. Being in debt is hard. Being financially disciplined is hard. Choose your hard. And you get the point. It goes on and on. We get to choose our hard. For Kaylee, it's compulsions. And this cycle of pain is hard. And working to rewire her neural pathways is hard. It's difficult when we do nothing. And it's also difficult to try hard to heal holistically. However, one is more rewarding. Which hard are you choosing these days? The program that I use for OCD, one of the things that the director had said about it is don't try harder, try different. Mm. So like my whole life, I'd been trying harder. I got to figure this out. I was working so hard. And then it's like, just try different. So this is that opposite, right? I know that I've been doing this my whole life and it's not working. It hasn't worked for me. (laughs) And I didn't realize it. I had no clue I was doing these things. And when I was finally able to like see it and understand it for what it was, because it's little things, it's little kind of steps along the way. It's a little compulsion, you know, and then it snowballs and it leads until I'm standing above my son's crib, not wanting to wake up in the morning, you know, like that's, it got to that point. I'm like, how in the world did I get here? And because it's just that little by little, you know? And so I'm like, okay, I know that I'm stuck in this and this isn't working for me. So I have to try the opposite. So I'm afraid of all these things. I'm going to run towards these things. I'm going to feel it. These things that I don't want to feel, I'm going to feel it. Like that sounds terrifying, right? And one of the things that I practiced for ERP was leaving knives out on the counter because <laughs> I always had to put them away because what if, you know, <laughs> what if, what if I made my brain to think of a million kind of scenarios things that would never happen, you know, kind of like, I think I told you before I, when we lived in Brazil, I was terrified. I would like suddenly start sleepwalking and walk up the balcony. Cause we lived in a high rise, you know? And so I'm like, all right, I have to check all these doors, you know? And I know it sounds terrifying and you don't always have to start with like the scariest thing, but what happens is your brain starts to kind of catch on. So one of my favorite quotes is, I mean, you hear like practice makes perfect. Right. Mm-hmm. But for me, the way that I like to look at it is Practice makes new neural pathways. (laughs) And that's really all it is. Like we're just programming something different and it'll keep coming up, but over time it'll get easier and easier. And some of these things I'd be like, well, that wasn't really that bad. That really wasn't that scary. And, you know, with opposition, there is a beautiful promise that I was missing. Here's where I was the before. These are all the horrible things that I was experiencing. I had the capacity to feel the opposite. Anxiety feels like excitement. It both felt really dangerous to me. <laughs> you know, happiness felt dangerous. It was kind of this idea of like the higher you are, the further you fall, right? And I was trying to protect myself from everything. And it's when you really open yourself up to like, okay, I can feel anxiety and it's not dangerous. Oh, now I can feel excitement and it's not dangerous right? You open your whole capacity, this holistic healing of covering the whole spectrum. 
instead of just trying to pick out all of the little parts. And the vulnerability is really important to me too, because I know you love this. (laughs) I felt like I was the only one. I feel it got to the point that it did because I would have an intrusive thought. And I thought, oh my gosh, I'm terrible. I'm horrible for thinking that. I'm the only one in the world that thinks like that. Why did I think that? When everybody has intrusive thoughts, like the intrusive thoughts is the thought that comes that we don't have control over it. That might be like really weird or we don't quite understand it or sounds horrible to us. Like, no, I would never do that, right? Everybody has intrusive thoughts. I thought I was only one. I thought I was so different. And if I were to be completely open and vulnerable, everyone would know. Suddenly I would be found out that really underneath I'm this horrible, terrible, awful person who has these horrible, terrible, awful thoughts. (laughs) And so it was crucial for me to hear other people's stories for them to be vulnerable so I can know, oh, wait, I'm not the only one that has these crazy thoughts. So it was so important for me, for other people to be vulnerable about these deepest, darkest, horrible thoughts. And, you know, I just remember my whole life thinking that I'm so different. And if anybody were to know these things that happened to me, if anyone were to know this trauma happened, I don't even know how to talk about this with somebody because if somebody knew, you know, fill in the blank, right? What if I did something wrong? And OCD is related to trauma a lot too, because I was just, I was trying so hard to figure it out. You know, I had no comprehension. And I think it's important to talk about that. I was able, even though I couldn't remember anything that had happened, I had to explore my feelings. I had to dig into my emotions because I could trust that. It doesn't really matter what specifically happened because it's not about what happens to us it's about what happens in us yeah I could trust those feelings and emotions because that's how I interpreted it that's what I got out of it was when I really explored that with EMDR this huge feeling of being abandoned by God came up I had no clue that I felt that but it made so much sense with how my relationship with God was so strained And I was trying to prove my worth to him. (laughs) You know, I was trying to be perfect all on my own. And I could trust the feelings and I could trust the emotions and I could address them and heal from that because that is really what I needed to heal from. I may never know what happened and that's okay because my body is so amazing to tell me these things. Kaylee now has a different relationship with pain. If pain is just a message, I want to try to hear that message. I want to try to learn it. I want to try to learn that language that my body's trying to speak to me. And, you know, I think it's important to also to talk about like, it starts in our youth that it's hard to talk about emotional pain, right? How Mm -hmm. people respond to physical pain is different than people respond to emotional pain. Imagine a kid having a tantrum, you know, like they come crying to you. Oh, did you get hurt? Did you hurt yourself? Oh, wait, you're not hurt. Like, just get over it, right? (laughs) Yeah, I don't know. Because we don't know. Like, it's so hard to us because we don't always know how how to heal it. I didn't know how to help my kid who was having a tantrum with emotional pain. But I knew better how to treat physical pain. I was learning how to process my emotions at the same time that I was learning how to to help my children process their emotions. Because there was so much anger that I was feeling. And I didn't know how to deal with that. I was having tantrums along with my children. (laughs) 
Wow, this is so true. I often catch myself saying, you're fine. Stop crying. That's what our parents did and our parents' parents. That is a hard cycle to break. And then we end up as adults, like not sure what to do with all of that and just trying to, I need to be fine because everything's fine. This is a society problem. Yeah. Because we cannot, it's the same thing with emotional. It's it's pain in general. It's so subjective. How in the world can you quantify it? You can't. So how do you talk about these things? You know, how do I know how to help my kid when they're feeling emotional pain? Well, there are ways. We just didn't learn it. And Um, we're uncomfortable because we don't, we were raised and we, they were raised and they were raised. mm -hmm. We don't want to feel that pain because it's uncomfortable. Even though it's not physical, it's emotionally uncomfortable. So then we're like, you need to stop crying because it's bothering me. Your pain can't bother me. And then they learn that they can't yeah. cry. And then their kids come crying to them. It's like, how do you A vicious cycle that keeps going and going until someone's brave enough to turn around and face a demon, right? That we're all yeah. afraid of. So how do we face it? Well, this is what Kaylee learned. So I was trying to do everything on my own. Like if I could do everything perfectly, then nothing bad would ever happen. And I didn't even know I was doing this. And I was trying to use the spirit or God in this way of like, I can prevent all these bad things from happening. If I can perfectly do what I'm supposed to do, perfectly follow the spirit, you know, because the spirit knows the truth of all things. Right. So I can get these answers. Like I can know if this is going to happen or not. Right. Well, the spirit doesn't live in what if it's the truth of all things as they really are. Mm. It was, these were perceived threats. They weren't real threats. If it was a real threat, I would know what to do. Because every single time where there was a real threat, I had the help that I needed at that moment. And so I felt completely abandoned by God. And I think the biggest thing that OCD steals is relationships. It affects every single relationship, the relationship you have with yourself, the relationship you have with others, the relationship you have with God. And that's the things that obviously are most important in our life. Everything else is going to fade away. And, And so I really had to heal that. There are a lot of, you know, self-compassion, a lot of finding out who God really is and what this view I had of him, like why it wasn't really real. And that turning point is when I really had to come to Jesus moment. And like, I needed a savior. I was trying to do it all. I was not asked to do that. I was trying to take that on and it is impossible to do that. And that's why it's so frustrating. And, you know, it's hard to talk about the spiritual things, just like it's hard to talk about emotional things. It's these things that are abstract and not concrete. It kind of goes into like analogy or metaphor or symbolism, right? You know, because that's how we can try to explain it. And I was trying to control everything that I couldn't control and I didn't need to control. So one of my favorite things to talk about is, is meditation. So be still translates in Hebrew to let go or this surrendering, (laughs) right? That's really cool. Yeah. And so it's this time to be still and to notice all of these things that come up, these things that I was trying to run away from. We all do it. We try to distract ourselves, right? Like TV, (laughs) scrolling, whatever it is. We find all of these things to try to distract ourselves away from the pain that we don't want to face. 
So it was this like, okay, I know Christ can heal, but how, like, how does that happen? This is where my mind goes. Like it has to be concrete, right? I have to like understand how this fits together. And the best way that I can describe it is he already took the weight of the world. That's not what I've been asked to do. And it's living in that faith, that uncertainty. That's really what it is. Like I was having such a hard time with uncertainty. I have to embrace uncertainty. That's how I heal from OCD. And in this way that I look at it is this opposition and it's like an abstract thought. So it's hard to explain, but I'll try. And so Christ covers everything like the whole and he descended below all things and he was raised above all things. And so he covers it all. Like we all have to face the fact that bad things happen, right? That's part of this world. We all come to that moment. where, like, why do bad things happen? And, you know, things we don't want to see, feel, think, or experience, like we don't want to do it. And for me, the answer is, is Christ because he covers it all. It's a holistic healing instead of just the parts. And it's really vulnerable, obviously. So it's finding that balance between the two opposites. Everything in this world has a duality, right? Like that opposition. And it's finding that balance and to me, like that balance is peace and Christ is the perfect balance. Like he literally, he's physically both God and man. So he encompasses like that duality, right? Like perfectly. He's the bridge between heaven and earth. Like mm-hmm. he encompasses it all, <laughs> right? And we cannot do it on our own. It's impossible. That's the best way I can describe like, why, why do I believe in Christ? <laughs> like, why do I need him? And why is it such an important part of my story? You know, so it's like changing to that lens of safety like that because of him, everything will be made right. (laughs) I just had an aha moment of that is so true about Christ, because even if, you know, someone's child dies, even if Jackson has a heart Mm -hmm. defect, even if all of this horrible stuff happens, there is peace in Christ because of him. Nothing is dangerous, even though it is dangerous. Yeah. Yeah. In this world, it's a perceived threat. Everything is a perceived threat, but it's not a real threat because Christ already overcame it. He already Um, overcame the world. It's not a real threat because these things will not last forever. Everything is temporary, right? Which is terrifying, but a blessing at the same time. So we really do just have to let go. Yeah, I know. And it's so hard. It's so hard, but it's like, it is what it is. Like that's a way to combat like all of these things. And it's like, I don't have control over this. I cannot control it. I've already tried. It doesn't work. (laughs) It made it thicker. It just made it worse because it's impossible. And so in this world, these things are impossible, but with Christ, all things are possible. It's this duality of everything is temporary here, but in heaven, everything is eternal, right? Mm -hmm. So these things that we want to last forever, what are those things? And how can we focus on those things? Our relationships we have with each other, that's what's going to last. And how can we be vulnerable with each other, right? How do we see each other for who we really are? see ourselves whole, the whole picture. Like I imagine like when you zoom out and you keep going and keep going and keep going and you can see the world as a whole, you know, that's what God sees. Like he sees the whole, the whole picture, not just the parts. And it's 
a holistic healing. So we have to heal physically, emotionally, spiritually, socially, like it when you think about holistic healing, that's what it focuses on all these parts of us. Yeah. yeah. I've never thought of just holistic meaning like as a whole, not just treating mm-hmm. the depression in your brain, but looking at the whole picture, like, wow. Thank you. You're- <laughs> everything is connected. Like everything. Uh, I mean, there's so much, there's so much that I'm like, this is what's going on in my brain and I can't put it on paper. I can't speak it. Like, I don't know how to explain it because it's so abstract. And this is why it drives me crazy, but I can try. And that's all I can do. And yeah, that's why I get so excited when someone gets my concept of beyond the picket fence, like mm-hmm. I can feel it and you can feel it, but we can't say it out loud in like actual words. It's yeah. just the feeling. <laughs> yeah. This is why I love symbolism. There's so many things and you learn so much more too, you know, as you go along, like there's just, oh, I love it. I love, this is, it's like one of my most favorite things in the world. <laughs> After everything that you've done, what do you wish people saw beyond your white picket fence? To me, when I think about a white picket fence, I can relate it a lot to the OCD because it's this facade of protection, right? It's like a fence is supposed to guard us and protect us, but a white picket fence doesn't do that very well, right? So it's feeling like this is protecting when really it's it's not. And I mean, I love white picket fences, right? They're so they're so cute and cool. And I've always I always wanted one growing up. And you know, the thing that's interesting about a white picket fence is you can only see through the pickets, right? Mm-hmm. like it's partially blocking the view and you're not getting the whole picture. So what I wish people would see beyond the white picket fence is me, like authentically me, all of the parts, you know, the whole picture, the thing that God sees. I know it's so hard in this world and it's never going to be perfect. But when I think of that white picket fence and the facade of protection, instead of hiding behind it or continuing to hide behind it. I can choose to go open the gate, right? Let people in. I mean, I love this. I love analogies, right? And I don't have to tear it down. You know, I can recognize it for what it is. Thank you for trying to protect me. You know, thank you for teaching me what's important to me. Thank you for these lessons that I'm learning. But I can choose to open that gate, let people in, you know, like, welcome to my remodeling project, right? Come in, look around. Like, this is what it looked like before. You know, this is the things that I'm changing. This is how I'm remodeling this house. And it's how I'm making the foundation stronger, you know, fixing all the things that need to be fixed. And and this is the vision that I have for the future. Like right now, it's still just a project, you know, watch your head. But I want to talk you through this process of what's going on. And, you know, let me introduce you to this great architect, and general contractor that I found. Oh, I just got goosebumps. <laughs> that was beautiful. Mm-hmm. And the architect being Jesus, right? Yeah. <laughs> Thanks for listening to another episode of Beyond the Picket Fence. Do you or someone you know have a story to share? Feel free to reach out to me through my Instagram, Facebook DMs, or through my website. And remember, be kind, because you never know what's going on for someone beyond the picket fence. <laughs>